Well, please turn, if you would, to Luke 10, as we continue our exposition of Luke's Gospel. It's been a few weeks, but last time we had just considered the parable of the Good Samaritan. And now we come uh, to verse 38, to the end of the chapter, to what is a very well-known, I trust, uh, episode in the life of our Lord as he deals graciously with two sisters. And uh, we come then to pick up at this narrative, Luke 10 and verse 38. Trusting you are there, let us hear the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray for the preaching. O gracious God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks now, and may we attentively hear. May the minister then be able to preach according to Christ's word that we would perceive in the preaching of the word, not the word of men, not the word of this man, but instead the word of God. We pray, Father, that the man that preaches may decrease, that Christ, O blessed Christ, may increase, that we may sit at his feet, that we may ponder and inquire with the Lord now and bask in his beauty. And may then the people of God, from this time hence and forevermore, find it their delight to sit at the feet of Christ. And if any here have never trusted in the Savior, may they hear the gracious words, even the chastening of the Lord, and turn to him and choose that good part that will never be taken away from those who have a share in it. And so we pray, Father, for the glory of God and for the good of these dear people, that thou wouldst help me preach, not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that the faith of the congregation should not rest in the wisdom of men, but rather in the power of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last time we were in Luke's Gospel, as I've already intimated, we had looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, wherein Christ had commanded us to love thy neighbor as thyself. And we saw what a challenge this is, to love our neighbor as ourself. Christ's words that linger, and you can see right there on the page in verse 37, he concludes with, go and do thou likewise. Now, Christ, we heard, taught us that our faith does not reside in mere knowing, but also in doing, in loving our neighbor. And we saw that the second table of the law is a diagnostic for our faith. It's very easy, children, at times, to say that you love God. It is proven when you love those made in His image. 
is what he says. After all, uh, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 1 John 4, 20. And so this is a great diagnostic of hypocrisy we learned. That if we're unwilling to love our neighbor as ourself, we may find that we really do not love God as we profess. And in the parable, we remember we saw an illustration of Hosea 6, verse 6. That the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice. That there are in fact times where acts of worship are to be laid aside because our neighbor is critically in need. Critically in need is the key. We saw that this was the fault of the Levite and the priest in the parable. That it was odious for them to say, you know what, here's this half-dead man. I'm going to go and minister at the temple. While a man made in God's image is dying. We remember that God needs nothing from us. Not even our religious duty, though that is our obligation to the Lord. But as you heard in Psalm 119 last week, He is ever blessed God. We cannot add to His blessedness, nor diminish from it. But men who are perishing need mercy. That's a necessary reminder for those of us who are reformed. However, and I think in the Lord's wisdom and kindness, He knows that such principles are easily abused and pushed beyond their boundaries. The Lord knows that we may neglect the worship of God, being too busy doing and not resting at Christ's feet. You know, some of us have what you might call a Martha complex, where our desire to serve or be busy keeps us, in fact, from communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Elevating service to neighbor can deny ourselves the one thing needful, the good part that shall not be taken away from us. And so the Holy Spirit gives us in this very next text, after the Good Samaritan, a text that teaches us, lest we go in the wrong direction, the better portion in life that is to be prioritized, which is communion with Jesus Christ, sitting at his feet, worshiping him, adoring him, having our souls fed by him, through the word of God, listening to the word, teaching us, yes, we are to be merciful, but we are never to neglect Christ's priority. And I'll have specific applications of that later on. So our theme is choosing the good part, prioritizing Christ, choosing the good part, prioritizing Christ. And we'll divide our narrative under the three heads on your bulletin. First is anxiousness, second is choices, and third is application. So our first heading, which is anxiousness, well, as we come into our narrative, Christ enters a certain village where a woman named Martha lived with her sister, Mary. Now, these sisters are probably best known to us from John chapter 11, where you remember, children, Christ raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. And from John 11, we remember, or actually we learn, uh, the name of the village that they lived in. It's called Bethany which is, can be translated house of affliction, house of affliction. Now, what a thing it is always to remember that in that name, Christ made his way to the afflicted. Right? He, he doesn't bypass the afflicted. In fact, he makes a beeline to them. He doesn't typically, you'll find in the scriptures, visit the mighty, 
but those of no reputation, those in need, the afflicted, the poor. And here he enters even shockingly maybe at the time, the home of a woman, not the home of a great king, not the home of a prominent rabbi. You know, we're not sure what Martha's condition was. This is her home. Maybe she was a widow. We're not sure. But Christ does not bypass her. Christ comes to her as he does to those who are afflicted who seek an audience with him. Even you today, you seek an audience with Christ in your affliction and he will give it. He will give it. Well, Martha here, the text says, receives Christ into her own home and she desires to give him hospitality. You think about this in the mark of grace in the woman's life. This is actually something that was often denied our Lord in his earthly pilgrimage, wasn't it? You know, he said he had nowhere to lay his head. And oftentimes, even when people, you know this, invited them in, him into their home, men like Pharisees, it was a pretense to try to trap him. And the Lord so often blessed many, and yet few would bless him in return. But Martha's reception here was genuine, for Martha did truly love the Lord. And we have to remember that about both these sisters. And we know that from John eleven five. Because Christ loved her first. Now, and what a, what a wondrous thing to have said of you in the word of God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, that's a, a wondrous thing, isn't it? To know these things about the people that we meet here in the text. Now, you can know that of yourself as well, can't you? We'll get to Martha's confession of Christ in John 11. But if thou hast professed, that Christ is the Son of God, that in Him thou hast eternal life, then this text says to you in John 11 that Jesus loves you. And that's a remarkable thing, even as we see the chastening of the Lord. These people in this home are dear to Him, and we know that He laid down His life for both of them in love. Well, as Christ was wont to do, He teaches in their home, After all, he came to make disciples of all nations. And that necessitates teaching. That necessitates teaching the word of God. There is no discipleship. There is no great commission without the word of God being opened and expounded. And so we must flee anyone or any organization that will minimize or neglect the teaching of the word of God. If this word is not open, there is no light in those who come and say that they are ministers of Christ. There must be the word opened. It was the Lord's own example. And when the word is opened, as we see here in verse 39, that uh, Mary sat at Christ's feet and heard his word, what is the posture? We are to sit at the feet of Christ and hear. You know, in that day, children, sitting at the feet of a rabbi, of a teacher, was the posture of a disciple. You remember the Apostle Paul said he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel in Acts 22, verse 3. But whatever the outward sign is, the inward reality is what truly matters. When we come to the word of God, we are sitting at the feet of Jesus and that reflects a heart posture. That reflects a heart posture of what? What would we summarize that out? Humility. Humility. We come to the word of God with meekness, receiving it as the very word of God. 
All Christians then, when the word of God is open, you are to sit at the feet of Jesus, who is our master. Now, we remember, if you look at old Reformed churches especially, you'll notice something wondrous about their architecture, right? The pulpit is raised up. The pulpit is up on high. Why is that? Because the congregation is meant to see that they sit under the word of God and that the word of God is supreme over us. It judges the thoughts and intents of our heart. And we are to sit ourselves under it. We are to submit to it. We are to follow it. We are to adore it because it points us to Christ. The word of God, then, children, comes from a place of authority. It is the authority in your life. And what the word says, we must do. The master speaks and we listen. So when you think about this as well, you might even imagine what it was like there that day to have this dear woman sitting at the feet of Christ as though she's enraptured with every word, hanging on every word. What's the next thing the Lord's going to say? What's the next thing he's going to reveal to me? What are the wonderful dispensations of his word and his providence? What is it that I'm going to learn about the plan of salvation, uh, the heinousness of sin, the mind of God on the promises of the Lord? All of these things she's just enraptured with. And should it be any less for us when we come to the Word of God? Why should it be any less for us? When we're with Christ, the world vanishes. The world evaporates. Because here is Christ speaking. And that is the posture of our worship even now. That's why I would remind you, as we've heard recently, that the receiving of the preaching of the Word is worship. Because you are sitting humbly under Christ. And that makes it an act of worship. And hearing Christ, it's not just the singing of the Psalms that's an act of worship. It is hearing Christ speak. And when we say, I will submit to thee, Lord, what is that, children, other than worshipfulness? That's why we must always remember that we worship God in the preaching of the Word. He is communicating to us right now. He is speaking to us right now. And we have to ask, where are we between these two sisters? We'll get to Martha in a bit. Are we distracted with many cares? Or are we, like Mary, just sitting at the feet of the Lord? Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. If we don't recognize that we worship God by listening when he speaks, well, we'll be distracted and the precious seed of the word will pass us by. One thing is needful, he said, which is to listen to him when he speaks. Now, in verse 40, we hear of Martha that she was cumbered about with much serving. Now, the word translated cumbered actually means distracted. Distracted means being pulled away. Something's pulling her away. Something's taking her away. Something's taking her heart and her mind away from Jesus Christ as he is speaking. And what was it? Much serving. Well, there probably was plain to see much serving that she felt had to be done. You know, Christ was very likely there with his 12 disciples, after all, in the home of this woman. And they often had others who came in. We're not sure who else was there with them. But certainly Christ and his 12 disciples are usually there. Um, And so what she was being distracted by is what she perceived the needs of of all these people, especially Christ, were. 
You think about this, if you've ever shown hospitality, food, drink, setting of tables, right? Being a good hostess. Um, some of you ladies know what that is like, especially as you're seeking to serve those who come into your home. And you can probably very well sympathize with her, uh, which is actually the point, and we'll get to that in applications. You can sympathize with her. Her motivations were good. She was not seeking in any way in her heart to dishonor the Lord. That was not her intention. Rather, she likely wanted to honor him as the guest of honor that day. But here's the thing. Her good motive had actually turned bad. And worse than that, and I don't know if you recognize this, it had turned her heart sour unto the Lord himself. That's something you need to take note of, especially for those of you who seek to be hospitable. She complains. And listen to these grievous words. Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Now, do you see the terrible, terrible sentiment in the heart of the cumbered or distracted Christian? You know, Martha clearly was very frustrated with her sister. And oftentimes we think of the frustration that she has on her, with her sister, which the Lord will correct her on that too. But where does this kind of frustration always seem to terminate? On the Lord himself. Lord, dost thou not care? Why do you not care? That's a terrible thing. You remember not long ago we considered this when the disciples were in the boat. Same question. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Mark 4, 38. You know, children of God, there is always this sinful suspicion in the flesh that the Lord doesn't care about us. There's always this sinful suspicion that he is not paying any attention to us, that he does not know what we are going through. That's a terrible sin because he knows the smallest detail of our life the smallest flutter of our heart, the smallest worry, the slightest concern. Every providence, after all, is brought to us by his own hand. He knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. He knows our burdens. And he came to give us rest, he said. We who know the gospel, as Martha herself knew it in John 11, ought never, ever say, and worse than that, ever think, Lord, dost thou not care? Never. Not when we know such truths as he commendeth his love towards us that while we were yet sinner, sinners, he died for us. How could we ever say, do you not care? Whatever providence, whatever trial there is, whatever distraction, whatever burden, cannot say it. You need to snatch the first motion of the thought. Lord, dost thou not care? And uh, given how many examples of godly men and women there are in the scriptures. Don't think you're immune to such things. You may not vocalize it to your brethren, but surely the suspicion is always there in the flesh that the Lord doesn't care. You need to replace it immediately with, O Lord, how greatly thou cares for me. I am not forgotten before God. And you are instead to be astonished and humbled by how much the Lord cares for you, Christian. And that is to banish every thought that he doesn't know and he doesn't care. Well, Martha's complaint was Christ did not care 
to leave her to serve alone, that Mary wasn't helping her. But here's another part of her problem. She totally misunderstands the Lord's will. Totally misunderstands it. That's common in our anxieties. That's common in our cares. That's common in our distractions. In effect, the Lord will say to Martha, no, you have it backwards. You should be here with her. She should not be there with you. Yeah, there's a rebuke here to, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a sense, and you are astonished by this, right? She's rebuking the Lord. Do you not care? Send her here. But he says to her, you have it backwards. You ought to be here, not over there. And so the Lord rebukes her for that. You know, when we often have a sinful thought that the Lord doesn't care, coupled to that is that we have misunderstood his will. We have not known his will in the scripture. We don't know why uh, uh, things unfold in providence. And sometimes we just have to say, I know that all things work for good for them that love God in Christ. And those would remove, those thoughts would remove our, our difficulties and it would cause us never to disparage the Lord. It's our blindness then to charge Christ with being uncaring. You know, we have to say, the Lord cares for us. So if I'm feeling frustrated with his providence, the problem is me. The problem is me and not the Lord because he does all things well. And if I'm feeling frustrated, it is me. Maybe it's my sin. Maybe it's the Lord's chastening. But certainly it cannot be that the Lord doesn't care if I'm a Christian. And maybe I should check the word of God before I feel this way. But you know, here's a losing battle, isn't it? As we think on, on Martha. If you're not constant in the word, you won't even know what the word is. And so, of course, you're going to be distracted with many cares. And so there's a snowball effect. There's a domino effect here. If you're apart from the word, you won't even know what the word says, and you will become more and more distracted. So run to the feet of Christ. Now, let's just think about what Martha ought to have known from the word of God. You know, maybe we missed this, and I hope you haven't. But here is Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, speaking. God Almighty in the flesh speaking. And what would the word of God have taught you to do if God in the flesh is speaking? Go and do the dishes? Absolutely not. Deuteronomy 28.1, hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. When Christ, who is the incarnate word, speaks, you are to hearken to the voice of God. There really ought to have been no question of what was proper at that time. You know, imagine you're here in the worship service and then you suddenly decide that I'm going to take care of some errands. I'm going to get online, do my banking or something. Besides the fact it's a Sabbath day, you ought not do it. Imagine doing that kind of thing when God is speaking. That's a terrible sin. So when the master speaks, we are to hear intently and humbly so. Martha got it terribly wrong. Not only did she not know the will of God for her, here's the thing, she doesn't even know the will of God for her sister. Right? She, she says her sister ought to be doing this other thing. And so we better be careful before we say what another person ought to be doing, that we understand what the will of God is from the scripture. Don't be prescribing things to people that is not found in God's word. 
Absolutely not. You will be rebuked by the Lord for it. No, they were both to hearken to the voice of the Lord their God. Mary was not to be serving. Mary chose the good part. She sat as an obedient little lamb, listening to the good shepherd, following him whithersoever he goeth. While Martha was fretting to and fro rather than adoring him, her busyness actually causing the seeds of, think of this, despising Christ in her heart. Do you see that? When you do not adore Christ, you don't adore his word and sit before it, what happens is you start to despise him and you charge him with all kinds of folly. While you have to imagine that Mary's thoughts were high and lifted up of Christ, sitting at his feet, Martha growing more cumbered, more distracted, while Mary is having all the cares of this present life melt away. While all Martha could say is, Lord, dost thou not care? Distracted with dishes. So Christ has a gracious word of rebuke to her. He said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Now that reminds you, if you're here with us last afternoon, of Christ's address to Peter, Simon, Simon. Right? Remember, he said Satan had desired to sift him as wheat, but he had prayed that his faith fail not. Well, with Martha as well, you see here, it's an incredible and astonishing thing how tender and direct he is with this woman, even after hearing that he didn't care for her. He's still very merciful. You know, and here I think you observe something of the Lord as our good physician. You know, he understood the heart of this woman. He really did. It wasn't rank rebellion that was in her heart. He was truly seeing that she was overwhelmed, that she was full of cares and troubles. He had sympathy for her, even if he cannot excuse her for her sin. Now, for us poor sinners who do love the Lord, but fall into sin like this, it's good to remember that the Lord is not unsympathetic towards us. Even when he corrects us, he knows our frame, that we are as dust. His correction is according to the measure of our weakness and our rebellion and our obstinacy. He knows that she is overwhelmed and he is gentle in his rebuke towards her. Now this is the heart and the character of our God towards us, children of God. Is this not the kind of text that ought to lead you to readily repent of your sin? When you are rebuked of the Lord, seeing the kindness of the Lord to rebuke us as a father does a child, that the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. And you need to see how gracious the Lord Jesus is towards the children of God, even in his rebukes. Oh, that we would, you know, that's the thing, right? If we actually took the Bible up and read, if we actually sat at the feet of Christ, would we not perceive these things of our Savior? Would we not read such graciousness? Would our cares then not melt away? Would not our sorrows and our anxieties all be gone if we would take and read, if we would be like Mary sitting at the feet of Christ, rather cumbered about? And I also think there's something here of Christ as our mediator, of course, as well. How glad we are to see him as the one who is bringing us the word of God, the God-man himself ministering to us, that it isn't as though she were at Sinai in that house without a mediator, 
That because she has a mediator, the word of God doesn't destroy her. Thunder doesn't come down into that house and blast it apart. Because of the Son of God, we hear instead, Martha, Martha. And we're thankful for the Lord's ministrations to us in the Son of God. Now, what is Martha's fault here? Being full of cares. And those cares distracted her from Jesus. You know, what happens is when we prioritize other things in our life over the Lord himself, mark this well, your anxieties will grow. Absolutely will, because that is idolatry. That is idolatry, and idolatry, it leads to cares and distractions. And the cares of this world diminish our communion with Christ. I mean, think of it. I've alluded to it already. Here's her Savior, the Lord come in the flesh. But what is on her mind? Dishes, food. What utterly misplaced priorities. She didn't know the next time that Christ in this way would visit with her. And instead of choosing the better portion to be with him in this special way, the Lord in the flesh, she has other cares that have cumbered her. And these things have become idolatrous. You know, it's not a surprise then that Christ links our anxieties to idolatry, even paganism in Matthew 6. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know, I think as we think of Christ's words that there's one thing needful here one thing needful for us, I think we can look at our lives and understand if we actually know the one thing that is needful in our life. You know, some of you have let something happen to yourself. You wake up, and what is the one thing more needful than you needing to spend communion with Christ? What do you prioritize over him? Now, for many of us in our society, it's going to be things like the errands, it's going to be the work, it's going to be the meetings that I have to rush to, maybe it's taking care of the children, getting the lunchbox in order, or whatever it is. And you can say, this is more needful than spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says one thing is needful, and it's not your cares and anxieties even over good things, but it is communion with himself. And you can diagnose yourself where your heart is with the Lord if you're here like Martha today. What is the one thing that seems to always push the Lord Jesus Christ away? You can ask yourself, is it Christ that I'm always prioritizing in my life? Or does he seem to always get the short end of the stick? And then when you are maybe convicted of these things, you say to him astonishingly, Lord, dost thou not care that I have all these other burdens? that I must take heed to. When he is saying, no, no, my child, my child, there is one thing needful, and that is me. That is me. You take care of those other things after you have met with me. This is what you really need. You know, if you are floating away, I know many of us, we open our Bible even in the morning, and as you read, your mind is floating away, isn't it? 
the day's chores, the meetings, the strain of finances, anxieties over your health, or something else, and even the word of Christ. You may even be at the word, but you're not at the feet of Christ because you're actually in the kitchen, spiritually speaking, distracted. What are these things that are crowding in your life? They are crowding out the Lord himself. Maybe as you are praying, right, you are to bring your cares to the Lord in prayer because he cares for you. Praise God for that. But sometimes you'll notice in your prayer what is happening. You're thinking of the cares and you're not actually bringing them to the Lord. You need to not do that, children. You need to actually bring the cares to the Lord. Otherwise, the cares are cumbering you and taking you and distracting you away from the Lord. And he is saying, you are burdened with many cares, but one thing is needful. Bring them to me. Maybe that is where you are now, even in the worship of God. Your mind completely distracted by Monday. All the things that you must do. And what is happening? The word is snatched away. You remember the parable of the soils. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Matthew thirteen twenty two. How often has that happened to you and me? Sitting here in the worship of God, listening to the Lord, and suddenly we're not listening at all and we're thinking about Monday. And the word becomes unfruitful. You know, you think about this, Martha perhaps was hearing snippets of the word as she was going to and fro to the kitchen. Did it profit her at all? No. No, it didn't. Her mind was distracted. Well, let's, uh, let's develop that out some more in our next heading, and these next two will be briefer. Christ told Martha, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So he rebukes her in this way, that actually Martha... Mary did what was according to the will of God. So he commends Mary that she had made a better choice. He said, one thing is needful. Now, I've mentioned this. I'll bring it to you again. One thing is needful, and it is not doing the dishes. It is not taking care of your home even. It's certainly not your amusements and entertainments. What is this one thing? What is this good part? so needful for you and for me. What is it that Mary had chosen? When the Lord speaks in this way, we ought to hear him. We ought to hearken to him. We say, Lord, what is the one thing I need? And am I possessing it? Am I inclined towards it? Show me, O Lord. What's the one thing? She had chosen Christ. And that was found in her seeking to hear him. The hearing of Christ is actually just a working out of the fact that she had chosen Christ. That she had chosen Christ more than anything in this world. She had chosen him. And that is the one thing needful. That is the one thing necessary for us. And if you choose Christ constantly over all other things, everything else will work out as it ought to in the ordinances in, a, in your walk in the Lord with the Lord. You remember that Job said, for that reason, he had esteemed the words of the Lord's mouth more than his necessary food. Job 23, 12, that is the regard we are to have for hearing Christ over everything else, even what is necessary for our body. So in view of that, friend, I cannot assume today that you yourself have chosen the one thing needful. 
which is to take Christ for yourself by faith, to know him by faith. That is the one thing most needful, full stop for any of you here, is to possess Christ by faith. I'm going to take you to John 11, where Jesus spoke to Martha, the same dear woman, and asked her a vital question. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? He asks each of you, don't, don't gloss over the question. Do you believe this? Have you taken Christ? Have you chosen him? Have you seen him himself as the one thing needful for you? Have you put your faith in him to have resurrection and eternal life? He put this inquiry to Martha, but it is not recorded for Martha's sake. She answered the question. She doesn't need it recorded. It is recorded for you and me, to whom the end of the ages have come. And you and I must ask, well, the Lord asks you the question, believest thou this? Each and every soul here. Where do you stand on this most necessary question that has to be answered? Well, if you don't know it, Martha responded correctly with saving faith. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. That's it. Don't any of you leave this place without that from the heart being the answer, knowing that thou hast chosen the good part. And you know that God loves you then if you confess Christ as Martha did. John 11 says that, Christ loved Martha. We know it because of her confession of faith as a response. From Martha's confession, we know then she was a believer. We don't believe she was um, anything but a believer. And so as we think about our life in Christ, beginning with this confession of choosing him, we see that the habit of faith must continue on in that way. And we must constantly, because our flesh is going to cause us to walk away from the Lord in many points, the fight for choosing Christ is ongoing. It's ongoing daily. You know it as a struggle of the flesh. It's not a testimony that you are not born again if you have the struggle. In fact, it is a testimony you are born again if it is a struggle. You know, the fight for choosing Christ is ongoing. And because of that, when we slip, we backslide into anxiety care and worry, and we become distracted from the main thing that we ought to keep our eye on. And Christ says, in this fight, Mary had made a choice. He commends her, she hath chosen well. You see, the choice is often before us, isn't it, brethren? And we have to constantly, at every point, make the choice, will I follow Christ in this point? Will I prioritize him in my life? It's not that I'll get to this, we'll neglect necessary duties but is he the priority every day every moment or am i pushing him away whatever distractions there are it seems like mary said oh my soul i will sit at christ's feet now he will be the primary thing for me that is the choice you know it's rather interesting the lord often puts this choice before you to you who are distracted and full of cares Every day he's going to put this choice before you, forcing you to make that choice. I will follow Christ. It is a choice that must be made every day, brethren. 
He's asking, will you choose me, the better part? Will you choose to adore me with all the strain, with all the stress, with all the distractions? Am I really, truly the one thing needful for you, or is it something else? In how you prioritize him, you make your answer to God. He deliberately does this. He put himself in Martha's home. He put his word between her and Mary to show them if they would choose the better portion. You have distractions and cares. That's the Lord testing. Who will you choose? Now see the effect of distractions on the soul. When you don't choose the Lord, Martha distracted and full of cares, though the Son of God is right there, the one who says, come unto me and I will give thee rest. He's right there and she's distracted. Even becoming frustrated, a terrible effect when we choose to be distracted with our worries rather than prioritize Christ to sit at his feet. In contrast, Mary sits at the feet of Christ, is still knowing that he is God. And in that time, let the earth quake, let the seas uh, cover the face of the planet, and she will be at peace before the Savior. And all the cares of the world melt away before Christ. And that ought to be the effect on your soul as well here, especially in the public meeting. You know, the worry brow, the worry lines on your brow ought to melt away whenever you're sitting before Christ. Are you anxious over anything, brethren? Put it away. Just take the time and sit at his feet. Be still and know he is God and not whatever has distracted you. Your bank account is not your God. Your health is not your God. Your children are not your God. He is God. There is none other. And if you are at his feet, that is the safest place to be. That is where you will be for all eternity after all. And not a thing will, will shake your peace when you're before his feet. When you come to the word, you hear of the love of God for a sinner like you. You hear that none can snatch you from his hand, that he has pledged thee, that thou will never be uh, taken away from him. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, the time is coming, children of God, where the worry lines and the anxieties are going to be erased from your brow. And he is leading you moment by moment through the word of God and his spirit to heaven itself, that you would be at his side forevermore. Should you not prioritize your bridegroom in your life? When you see that the Lord is at hand, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. Well, not only had Mary chosen the good part, it is that one thing needful, communion with him. And praise God, Jesus said, it will not be taken from her. Now this must cheer the child of God. This will never be taken from us, ever. You know, Martha may have had many cares about her home that day. Would her house be her portion forever? No. Absolutely not. Where is her house today, children? Well, maybe Rome might invent a relic and say this is her house. I don't know. But they'd be lying if so. But there is no house left today. Like all transient things we worry about, it's gone. But where is Martha now with her Redeemer? At his feet. This is the better portion. This is the part that will not be taken away from her. The food that we eat, expelled out of the body. The friends, they will come and go. But sitting at the feet of Christ will endure forever. 
And this portion will never be taken from us. This is why idolatry is so fruitless. Idols are vanity. They do not endure. But when we choose Christ, we choose what endures forever. Psalm 16, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Who is the Lord himself. When we hear Christ speak in the word, his word is our everlasting inheritance. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Psalm 119, verse 111. The effect of the word on our soul, brethren, is more precious than gold or silver. Because the word is active. To hear the word of Christ changes us, gives us more of the Redeemer himself. We know him through the word of God. That is much better than being anxious and distracted. And if you fret over the things of this world, you're fretting over things that perish. That's the way of the wicked in Psalm 17, of the unbeliever. Men of the world which have their portion in this life, or yes, in this life. All these things, houses and goods and everything, that's what the wicked are fretting about. And the judgment that will come on them is when they come naked before God, they have nothing to hide behind. They've taken nothing with them. And their portion has been for the transitory years on this earth. And they never once chose the good part. Why live that way, believer? Choose the good part. You know, children, this is a struggle for you to choose Christ constantly to prioritize him. You know, nature itself, I was thinking about this, children, boys and girls, teaches you that we have a struggle with choosing the good part, don't we? After all, if uh, placed before you was maybe a bunch of candy with high fructose corn syrup, and then uh, you had your vegetables and your meat, which is it that you're likely to choose? You're not going to choose the good part, likely. You're going to choose the thing that is rotten to you. And so there's a spiritual lesson in that as well. That's a, an analogy used, I think, by, through nature, our fallen nature that God gives us to show us by nature we don't actually choose what is good for us. And we certainly don't choose Christ as we ought to in every time. So take that lesson and apply it spiritually, whether you're an adult or child. You have a habit of choosing that which does not endure and is not to your health of your soul. So let's close with application. And as we've had several, I'll be brief here. The first question you ask today is this, am I fretting and am I anxious over many cares? If so, you have to ask, have you chosen the better portion? The priority in your life must be Jesus himself. If so, the promise in Matthew 6 is all you need will be cared for. Now, I think, unsurprisingly, ladies, this text is especially for you, I believe, in many ways. You are very often concerned with domestical duties. Very much so. This is actually in many ways, this is how the Lord has designed you. You are also often just your sex by nature seeks to serve others. This is something quite commendable. It's a virtue of your sex. You love to serve and care for others. But however, even good things can be elevated over Christ. And you have to be very mindful of this in your own home. Look on these two women, ladies, and find the one who took the better portion. And be very mindful of your own uh, care and feeding of your soul. It's easy to downplay your own need for Christ day by day. I would just say, ladies, 
maybe you've missed this, but how inviting the Lord Jesus is to these women to be his disciples, wanting them to feed on the word of Christ. He invites Martha to put away the cares and distractions and to spend time with him. In other words, you must never feel that you are doing something neglectful to prioritize Christ in your home, in your own day-to-day life. That is actually something he wants of you, ladies, and he knows in many ways you are prone to be tempted to rush into the day and do domestical duties. And the problem you would have is to think that spending and prioritizing Christ first is a zero-sum game, all of us. You would think that to spend an hour with Christ or however many time, I'm not prescribing anything, mind you, means I have lost an hour rather than seeing it as actually to great gain. That he helps you through the day. That he will be there sustaining the burdens. He will be there opening doors that you feel are shut. He will make ways clear and plain, pathways smooth. If you would just spend that time with the Lord himself, your soul and all of its strain and all of its burdens will evaporate and you will feel the strength of the Almighty. When I am weak, I'm strong because the power of Christ rests on me. These are the things that we neglect when we neglect Christ. We must believe these things by faith. That time spent with the Lord is not time wasted, but is actually to the blessing of the soul. Now, husbands, in this, you have a duty to make sure that your wife is able to feed her soul, that she has time for these things and is not always doing everything. Now, there are ditches, of course. Now, some of you can fall into a desire for the kind of monastery life that all day is being spent ostensibly, which if you were really spending time with the Lord, you would know his rebuke to say, go and serve, as we heard in the last text. Um, And you may neglect necessary duties because you believe you're sitting at Christ's feet. But often that is a selfish and self-centered neglect of duty. It's It's an escape path. And some of us men have that. Well, I'm going to spend all my time, you know, supposedly at the feet of the Lord, but really it's just a dodge to not do the things that we really don't want to do, but the Lord has called us to do, to labor as unto the Lord. So you need to um, check that because our labor is unto the Lord. We neglect opportunities to serve as well, saying, well, I'm going to spend this time with the Lord and I can't help my neighbor who needs help. And that must not be either. Christ is speaking of priority, priority in life, not the only thing in life. So where are your priorities? Are you always too busy to choose the better portion, right? This is something that you hear, especially in our society. (sighs) So busy, so busy. But the thing is, we do that to ourselves, more or less. We end up doing this. We heap our schedule with things. And what we don't think of is, where does Christ fit in the schedule? And then one day we wake up and we say, well, we're too busy for Christ. I don't know how I'm going to get everything done and pray or read. You did that to yourself, friend. He didn't do it. He didn't ask you to put your calendar together without a thought of him. So if you're cumbered with many things, consider making a list of what is necessary and never put communion with Christ as a secondary thing. Always comes first. Always comes first. And then you can prioritize what is extra, what would be nice, and what is not truly needed. And let those things fall off so that you can prioritize Christ. You know, we are the ones like Martha who overburden ourselves. 
And at the end of the day, we're frustrated, right? We come home tired, frustrated, and we say, in effect, Lord, dost thou not care? Yet, here's the thing, right? When we say something so outrageous as that, what is the Lord's rebuke? Have you not cared to spend time with me? And then you charge me saying, I don't care about you when you haven't cared about me? Really, the Lord's rebuke here is much kinder than we would have to someone else who would do that to us. It really is. How can we say the Lord doesn't care for us when we don't spend time with him? We neglect him, and then we ask if he's neglecting us. It's absurd. The Lord would say one thing is needful, and that is him. So prioritize him. Now, I'll even say this being the Sabbath day. The Lord has even ordered our week so that he comes first. He comes on the first day of the week to show us the one thing needful, the good part. Before we go to our business, the rest of the day, Sunday arises. The Lord arises as the morning star with healing in his wings, that we would prioritize him this day, that he would feed us on the words of God and the words of life to order our priorities the entire uh, week. Yet, isn't this absurd as well? that some of us, even on the Sabbath, find something else more needful and don't come to him and don't come to him. And even if you do come, as I've alluded before, the cares of this world often choke the word of God. Or when the second service rolls around, how many of us will just leave before the call? And you have to ask, and I won't ask this for you, but God asks, what is that one thing more needful than prioritizing me in worship? Now, Is it truly an act of mercy? Is it something necessary? Or is it something that's just going to add more burdens to your soul when Christ would unloose them? Are you choosing the better part? What would the Lord say to you? Be honest. I leave that between you and God. I also want to speak on the topic of amusements as really the last thing. Because if Christ spoke to Martha concerning cares over good and lawful things, how much worse amusements and entertainments which are just distractions often to snatch our affection from Christ. Children, your entertainments, especially wanting to play games and all that kind of stuff, uh, are not the better portion. Not television, not movies are not the better portion. It's really outrageous, right? If the Lord were to look into our lives and we say we're so tired to spend time with the Lord, we just can't do it. And if he tallied up the average American Christian's television usage, or uh, streaming, or video games, it would be outrageous, absolutely outrageous, that we would ever say something like that. Is he your portion, children? Do you spend time with him? Learn to love him, boys and girls. Adore him and spend time with him. He invites all of you to sit down before his feet and take the better portion. And if you do, brethren, isn't it a remarkable thing you get the commendation of the Lord? He said of Mary, she hath chosen the better portion. Now, he's not shy in his commendation to you. He's going to show you, children of God, and vindicate you that you chose the better portion in your life, if you have done so. You have chosen me. You have chosen thy beloved. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am wed to thee for eternity, and you constantly chose me. What a thing it would be to hear from the Lord that thing. And if you have something to rejoice in today, rejoice in that, that he has wed himself to you.
So the cure to anxiety is Christ himself. I end with this word. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Psalm 16. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let us arise for prayer of Abel. O Lord, our God, forgive us, O Lord, for not always choosing the better portion. Lord, we are distracted and cumbered with many cares and worries. So remove these from us. Reveal to us in that time that we are afraid that thou leads us to the rock that is higher than I. And so, Father, we pray that in every distraction that comes in this world, sinfully so, that we would prioritize Jesus Christ. And when the distractions and the anxieties grow, we would say, no, we must choose the better portion. We will go to the feet of Christ and inquire of the Lord and delight to inquire in the presence of God. Lord, many times we have deceived ourselves by fleeing from the Lord Jesus Christ when we ought to go closer to him. And our cares and anxieties grow and grow and we wonder why. And we're like Martha. And then the Lord in his kindness shoots a word into our soul saying, thou hast not chosen the good part, the better portion. So draw us back to the Lord this day if that is us. And for any here who have not chosen Christ for salvation, would you open their heart to receive the Savior now? That the love of God may be manifest in them and that they would Cleave unto him and help us, Father, to not fall into those two ditches of inactivity and over service and over distraction, that we would put all things in their proper order after Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.